You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everybody. Today, we've got Craig Clements, Mr. Craig Clements, who I met. I actually didn't get to meet him at a dinner. I was very close to him, but we actually didn't get the chance to almost met very close, but I've followed him since then. And I've, I've always wanted to have him on the, on the podcast, but he is the co-founder of Golden Hippo, a company that specializes in direct consumer marketing for health, beauty, and pet care brands. But beyond that, Craig is an exceptional copywriter, brand builder, positioning expert. I think all the things, there's a lot of amazing numbers I can read off to you, but I'm actually just like Craig list off those numbers. But yeah, first and foremost, Craig, welcome to the show. It's, it's good to have you here. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. So Craig, I mean, talk to us a little bit about kind of your, your marketing and, and business background. What is your story to get things kicked off? And then uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah. So my first foray into business was in the wild world of telemarketing. I sold everything from hotel safety bathtub mats that go on the bottom of the shower so people don't slip and fall to tools and industrial supplies, like drill bits and wrenches, things like that, mortgages, credit card merchant accounts. I bounced around from one telemarketing job to another for three, four years in my early 20s. I didn't do the whole college thing. I skipped college, but I got a sales education in those phone rooms. And as you know, Eric, when you're doing telemarketing, you got to pick up the phone and dial a number and then you get hung up on about a hundred times for every one person that decides to talk to you. And then every person who decides to talk to you, maybe you sell one out of three or four, you know, so it's definitely a grind. I was doing that and I had some jobs where I'd make some money. I made enough to, you know, buy a new car, move out of my parents' house at the ripe young age of 22. And Then I got the next telemarketing job and I made no money. And in the one before that, I I was an independent contractor. I was supposed to take half of my money and give it to the IRS, but I needed it to live. So I found myself 23 years old, tens of thousands in debt to the IRS. And the job I was at wasn't making any money, but I got really fortunate in that I had a friend of a friend who had started an early online publishing company and he was selling books for men on how to meet women and get more dates. Double your dating. Have you heard of it? Well, yeah, I mean, you can list the name. I think anybody that knows digital marketing knows who he is. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, yeah, the guy's name was Evan Pagan. Pen name, the book author name was uh, David D'Angelo. And so I heard about his business and got on the phone with him and he told me what the numbers look like and I begged him to hire me. He laughed but wasn't interested. And I looked at the way he was doing business and he had this newsletter that would go out that would give you dating tips and advice for, and you'd get the newsletter for free. And then at the end of each newsletter, he would try to sell you the book or the advanced course, which were videotapes of a three-day seminar he had put up. So I'm reading the emails and they're written in this really unique style. It's like conversational and very high value, you know, real tips and advice that you could use. And I'm reading them. I'm like, you know, I could probably write one of these. So I sat down one day and I wrote one and I was careful to write it in his exact voice in that same conversational style. And he would sign every email, your friend, David D. 
And so I wrote one to him. I remember it was called Two Tips to Kiss a Girl. And I wrote down the two tips. And then at the end I said, you know, if you like these two tips, you really should buy this book. Your friend, Craig C. And I sent it to him. And he wrote me back and he said, okay, now we can talk. And he gave me a job at $3,000 a month, which was life-changing money for me at the time. And that became my business education. I learned everything there was to know about marketing. I learned what copywriting was. I learned about acquiring customers and giving value first. And it was an amazing life experience. One of the biggest things I learned was that with what I was doing with the telemarketing, you know, having to call all these people and tell them the sales pitch when I finally got someone on the phone, that in direct marketing, I could take that same sales pitch, write it down once, put it on a website, and then instead of having to call people and pitch them, I could just send millions of people to the website and they'd read the same sales pitch and sure, the conversions wouldn't be as high as speaking to one-on-one, but you could send it to millions and millions. And that was this huge leverage point that I learned via direct marketing. And I was blown away. It became an obsession for me. I didn't listen to music for three years in my car. I only listened to marketing programs and audiobooks on marketing and just tried to brainwash myself and become the best there was at this marketing thing. And this is before I even got into copywriting. I was just learning about acquisition and marketing, but I fell into copywriting after a couple of years. And Eben is a world-class level copywriter. And so I had him mentor me. I was very fortunate in that early phase. So that's how I got my start. Thanks for that story. You know, what's interesting now is in the tech world, software marketers are like, oh, you know, the skill you got to learn now is copywriting. And I'm like, Duh, right? So, but, but the funny thing is they're not really aware of, you know, the Evan Pagans of the world, the Craigs of the world. And uh, I guess my question here is if people want to get better at copywriting, the, the beauty of copywriting is there are a lot of timeless resources. So what do you recommend people check out if they want to get better or if they just want to get started? Yeah. So Eric, as you probably know, but people often don't realize is that the same principles that worked in marketing back in, you know, 100 years ago are just as powerful today because human psychology hasn't changed. So I recommend you study two things. I recommend you study the greats being the classics. So books written by guys like Claude Hopkins, uh, Robert Collier, and Eugene Schwartz. Those are three iconic copywriters of the olden days that have written some of the best books on the subject. I think, you know, between those three guys, there's four books. I would devour all of those. And then you really got to study what's working. There's a lot of guys teaching copywriting right now. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. And it's hard to identify. But I believe that the best copywriters are just doing it. Because when you're really good at copywriting, you can use it to sell things other than copywriting courses and it's more profitable. You know, that's the bottom line. And so look at the companies that are really successful and study them. And the way you can tell if a company is successful is if you see their ads over and over again across different websites, then you know, okay, that company's doing something right because they can continue to pay to run the ads. It used to be back in the day, you go buy the same magazine every month. If you see the same ad in the magazine, for a year, you know it's a profitable ad. Otherwise, the company would go out of business. So the same is true today, looking at the 
ads that pop up on your Facebook newsfeed or on the bottom of the articles on CNN.com, places like that. And then another thing you can do is get the Alexa toolbar. And the Alexa toolbar, as you probably know, Eric, it gives you a ranking of where the sites lie as far as how much traffic they're getting. So Google is the number one traffic site on the internet. I think Facebook is number three or four. You know, MSN is like five or six. You know, and it goes backwards, Alexa rankings do. And if you see a site that is under 150,000 Alexa ranking, it probably means it's doing pretty well. Those are sites you can learn from. Though there is one trap you can fall into, and that is looking at venture-backed companies. So venture-backed companies can afford to go splash around a bunch of advertising that doesn't really work that well, that's acquiring customers at a loss. And they can do that because it's not their money and they just you know raised a few million dollars, they can splash it around and their advertising might not be very good. So when you find a company that meets a criteria, you see their ads a lot, they've got an Alexa ranking under 150,000, type in the name of the company and then type in Crunchbase and you can go pull up and it'll show you rounds of funding. If they've had $10 million in funding or, or even $4 million or $2 million, don't study their ads. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying their ads are necessarily bad. They might be great, but you don't know. You, know. you don't know if they're acquiring customers at a loss or if they're acquiring them at a profit. And Eric, it's a whole lot easier to acquire customers at a loss than it is to be profitable on every transaction. And so it makes you have stronger copy if you got to make a profit. So I suggest studying profitable companies if you want to create a profitable company yourself. And, you know, with the whole WeWork fiasco and, and some of these other direct-to-consumer plays that have come to market that have either been acquired by big brands or have gone public and seen the valuations fall apart, I think all of the markets are going to be more favorable towards profitable companies moving forward. So whether you want to build a big organization that you want to take public one day or have an exit on, or just a lifestyle business that makes you profit, profit is the name of the game. Love it. And so diving a little deeper on, you mentioned great books, uh, you know, uh, Eugene Schwartz, Breakthrough Advertising. By the way, I paid $600 for that book. You can actually, they actually started reprinting it. Someone did, and it's like $125 and you can buy it. Great education. So yeah, Ryan Kurt is the guy who has the rights to it. Oh, that's amazing. With your creative copywriting process, I'm just going to call it that. I, I mean, what goes into that? Cause I'm assuming you probably have a swipe file. I guess like, what does that process look like for you? Like, are you saying, you know, each day I'm going to spend X amount of hours, you know, writing copy? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So it starts with research. And the research is into the market that you're entering and first and foremost, who you're selling to. Because the key to copywriting is understanding the customer and understanding their unique problems, their dreams, their hopes, their desires, and then speaking to that person. I heard Bob Pittman speak at a, a conference once. Bob Pittman's the founder of MTV and then he founded iHeartRadio. He's just a business legend, not a copywriter. But he said something about copywriting that changed the way I think about it. And he said, you cannot sell anything to anyone. The idea of selling is a myth. The only thing you can do is show someone that your product or service is the best solution to their problem. That's all you can do. Then they have to make the choice themselves. 
So really getting to know your customer, what their problems are, what is going to be the needle movers for them in their life to make their life better. And then speaking to those points is the most important thing you can do. And market research is key because you have to do it in a unique way. If I had a, uh, let's say I was launching something uh, for weight loss and I said, you know, take this pill, Eric, and you're going to lose 50 pounds in five weeks. Well, that pitch worked really well 40 years ago, but now everyone knows that doesn't work. And they've seen dozens of companies say a pitch along those lines. Banner blindness. Exactly. It's, it's just, you know, the same old shit now. So you look at other companies though that are coming into the weight loss market, which is a big market. Do you remember 1-800-GET-SLIM, the lap band? That had a huge radio campaign. It was a massive business. And it was actually for gastric bypass surgery. But it made that mainstream. It made this, this in crazy invasive surgical procedure mainstream with that marketing that they had on the radio. It's like, 1-800-LAP-BAND, we're all going to get slim. You know, it had like the, <laughs> the catchy captions that have rappers singing that and the DJs and all that, you know. And it was unique. So it stood out in people's mind as a unique solution. And so I think market research with your customer and with what else is out there is important because you have to first identify the customer's dreams, hopes, fears, frustrations, then identify what you can do to solve them in a unique way. That's a key to success. Got it. And is there anything that you, did you just learn that process through experience or was there like a specific thing that you read? It's like, oh, I'm just going to duplicate that process. I mean, this is just copywriting 101, really. Yeah. 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 You know, copywriting is all about the basics. Yeah. And the mistake a lot of writers make, myself included, is trying to get too fancy. Anytime I try to get too fancy with a marketing piece, I usually lose the customer. That's what I've learned. It, it's, you, can't, you can't try to sound smart. The moment you try to sound smart, that's where the copy fails. You, you almost have to, you have to do the research for sure, but you have to write like you and just write normally and not try to be this amazingly incredible, incredibly intelligent person. Yeah, they, they used to talk about the grade reading level. And there was a guy named Gary Halbert, legendary copywriter, and he was the biggest proponent of writing at a sixth grade or below reading level. And he just pulled this out of his ass and was telling people about it. This is before there were tools that could measure that, you know. But now, today, we have apps like the Hemingway app, but I think even like Microsoft Word will tell you your grade reading level you're writing at. And so Gary was always talking about this and Gary passed away before these apps, I think, came about. Someone went and took all of his old sales letters and they put them into these apps and they said, well, is he actually practicing what he was preaching? Is his writing actually below a sixth grade reading level? Because Gary was a smart guy and was very persuasive. And they found out, Eric, it was not at a sixth grade reading level. Was it lower? At a third grade reading level. It was lower. So... Wild. And I had some fun actually doing that recently. I was pulling up books from top authors like Mark Manson and Rachel Hollis and just posting yeah. their reading levels into the, the Hemingway app. The Hemingway app. Is I got to get that. I've heard about it, but I've, I've, it was never explained like that before. So I, I, I guess I'm going to have to pick it up afterwards. It's free uh, online. Yeah. You don't even have to pay for it. It's just uh, on a website. Yeah. So I was posting, posting them in and it was interesting to see the different grade reading levels. Most of those were at an eighth grade reading level, if I remember yeah. correctly. 
Got it. So check that's it out. style writing. That's a, that's a actually engaging self-help book. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess, I mean, one of the books you talked about Gary Halpert, the book I talk about all the time is uh, the boring letters recommended from another friend. So is that the, the book you're talking about with all the, the collection of sales letters or are you talking about something else? Oh, I believe when someone did the experiment with Gary Halbert's work on the Hemingway app, they actually took his sales letters. Got it. Got it. Not the letters to Bond. Got it. Correct. Got yeah. It. Boron Letters is a fantastic book. Though. I highly recommend it. Though I think it's best to have some familiarity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Familiarity. There you go. Gary, yeah. before you dive into the Boron Letters. So I recommend everyone goes to his website, the GaryHalbertLetter.com, which is now maintained by his sons, Kevin and Bond. And it has all of his old newsletters on there. So he had a paid newsletter back in the 80s and 90s. And it was $229 a year to subscribe, which, you know, that was a pretty penny back then. Yeah. And he had thousands of subscribers. And they're all still up on his website. And it's brilliant stuff. And it's still just as applicable today. Yep. So read some of those. And then once you get to know Gary a little bit, then invest in the Boron Letters book, yeah. which is his letters to his son that he wrote when he was in prison. Mm-hmm. I recommend everyone Googling this. Google the Lindy effect. And what you realize is that that's basically whatever tends to people talk about how to win friends and influence people. The timeless books or resources that you hear about, the longer they stay around, the longer they're likely to be They're going to last even longer. So check that out. I want to talk about the company for a second too. And interestingly enough, I'm looking at the, the live feed right now. Jesse Huang, who used to be my roommate, said he was an ex-Golden Hippo employee. Um, oh, right. no, I didn't even know we were live. That's awesome. What up? What up? Yeah. What up, live? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, one person asked if you are hiring remotely. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> you cool, can cool. We are hi- always hiring and we've had some talks about this. We still want people who want to come work in our office in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So we are hiring, but yes, we still want you to come to LA because we do think we're going to open the office doors back up. That could change. You know, a lot's changing in the world right now, but uh, that's our policy for now. Let's talk about Golden Hippo real quick. I mean, actually, even before that, you had a company called Breakthrough Media, um, which reached a couple million bucks in revenue with only three employees. Can you talk about that real quick? And then we'll move over to Golden, Golden Hippo. Yeah, sure. So Breakthrough Media was a small lead gen company that I ran with my two brothers who were my co-founders in Golden Hippo. And that was our company that was promoting other people's information products. And we did some uh, online software, things like registry cleaners, online background checks. Um, Back in the the glory days of affiliate marketing, you know, like 2005 to 2009. And I started doing that on the side when I worked at Eben's company. And created a nice side income. And then when the recession hit, Evan's company, which was running break even, when the recession hit, you know, the margins go down. And so he had to make some layoffs. And I was one of the first people to get laid off because all the copy for the dating books had been written at the time. And he was launching his altitude programs, which are his programs to teach business and entrepreneurial success. But he liked writing the copy for those personally. So I wasn't really needed anymore. So I got laid off. Mm. And That was a bit of a shock, actually, because up until then, I had been fired from every job I'd ever had, but those had been like, you know, telemarketing jobs, uh, waiting tables, delivering pizzas, shit like that. (laughs) But I was really good at the copywriting job. So that was a surprise that I actually got fired from that too. But it ended up uh, being a blessing in disguise immediately after we, we put full focus on the lead gen. But then 
that blew up too with the recession. You know, the margins just weren't there anymore. And we started Golden Hippo out of a bedroom office, out of desperation to try to make some money, you know, when everything else has failed. Got it. And Golden Hippo today, how many employees and you guys, how much capital have you taken in? So we, we never raised any initial funding and we have about 800 employees across, I believe, six offices now, some of which we do our own fulfillment and customer support in-house. So we have 400 customer service agents in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then we have shipping facilities in California and in Memphis, Tennessee. So we can offer prime speed shipping across the United States with no membership. Which Got is it. Something so you have your own internal brands. It's not like you're doing it for anybody else. Right, right. We, yeah, the, the description at the beginning was only partially correct. So we build brands in-house. We're not an agency. Got it. We're a, a, a more of an incubator, but not all of the brands spin off. You know, we, we continue mm-hmm. to run them in-house. Got it. So if people go to Golden Hippo, what, what can they expect to buy? Like, what would you go buy there? Well, there's nothing for sale at Golden Hippo yeah. because we have a really unique culture around each of our brands and then a, a community and belief systems that are different, you know? So we partner with a lot of the world's top doctors and as credible as they are in their different fields, they have different philosophies. You know, some doctors are okay with eating grains, for example. Some doctors say, you know, no grains whatsoever. We don't choose positions as a company. We let the, the doctors create products that align with their philosophies. And we want the customers who buy those products to feel like they're a part of that unique family, not that they're a part of a big corporation. So it's like if you go to Target, Eric, and you see Tide detergent on the shelf, it doesn't say, you know, Procter & Gamble all over, it just says Tide. That's why we don't have full e-commerce like Amazon type platform with all of our brands. You know, all of our brands are, are unique moves. Got it. Okay. So maybe, so to clarify, there's Golden Hippo sitting above and then it's like you have beneath, it's like all these different brands, separate websites and all that separate assets. Yes, that's, that's correct. Got it. Okay. One thing I forgot to touch upon when we, when we first started, um, your ad campaigns have generated almost $1 billion in sales. Is that with Golden Hippo as well? Or is there another story there? Oh, uh, it's uh, well over a billion now. And that is counting ads that I wrote for W Dating and Catch Him and Keep Him, which was our women's brand back there and freelance projects. Though my ads that I've written for Golden Hippo brands have generated over a billion by themselves also. Got it. So I just, I kind of stopped counting at a billion because it's kind of hard to, to add up and all that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really about the numbers, you know, because as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's about profit and people always quote numbers be like, Oh yeah, we're doing a hundred million a year in revenue. But what they don't tell you is that they're burning 20 million a year, you know? So I just put that number up because it's hard to clarify success in copywriting. Mm-hmm. because a lot of times you're doing it for brands that not a lot of people know. So it's not like I was doing marketing for Uber or Domino's pizza or things like that. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing brands that help millions of people, but not as well known. So I was thinking about like, how do you quantify success? And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I probably sold over a billion dollars worth of stuff one day. So one day I pulled out the spreadsheet and I, you know, entered all the numbers and I added it up. And it was over a billion. And I said, cool, I'm using that as a personal branding yeah. 
And that's something to think about. You know, it was a copywriting move that I did for myself yeah. to use that as a personal branding play. That's awesome. So we talked about copywriting. We talked about sales a little earlier too. There's a, there's a lot of marketing. I guess, what have you learned as a leader transitioning from you work for Evan Pagan and then you started this thing doing a couple million bucks a year, which is great. Now you have a company with 800 plus employees. How has that transition been? What have you learned? How have you evolved from Breakthrough Media to Golden Hippo? Yeah, it's a really great question. So I was fortunate when we started Golden Hippo and that I had three partners who were really great at the things I sucked at. And one of the things that I sucked at was operations. My brother is really great at it. He's got that engineering mindset. So he likes to figure out how things fit together, including management systems. So he did the same thing I did with copywriting. He read all the management books, you know, tribal leadership and the executive executive and all that. And he diversed it all into his own management thesis. And he's our CEO and he's been great at orchestrating the personnel side of the company. And, you know, for the first yeah, many years, I was pretty much a freelance copywriter, but a partner in the company. And then I moved back to Los Angeles. I had moved to New York for a little while. I moved back to Los Angeles. So I started coming into the office and I really enjoyed being around the people and meeting with the different teams. And of course, we have a, a team of amazing copywriters who I love working with. I'm not the copy chief, but I do do trainings with the copywriters and one-on-one -on -one sessions and things like that. And it's been an interesting evolution because another thing I do is, you know, host a lot of the company meetings and create our charity initiatives. And I bring in a lot of our brand partners. So it's really forced me to grow as a person and get a lot more serious about business. You know, when I was working for Eben, I was going out to the club also like six nights a week. You know, I was actually a club promoter for five years wow. back, back there from 2005 to 2010. And that was my thing, you know, and I'd, I'd wake up at the crack of noon, hung over from the night before, you know, four days a week. And that was just how it was, you know, and, and you can do that as a copywriter because people aren't depending on you to make big decisions. You just got to deliver that copy on time. Right. So I would do that. And then, you know, a couple of nights a week, I would lock myself in the house and I'd write all damn night to get the copywriting done. You know, and then once it was done, I'd go out and celebrate at the club. But, you know, being a executive and hands-on partner in the company, I'm now working six to seven days a week, especially during the, the latest with COVID and, and all the interesting things happening in the world right now, bringing in new partners and having the meetings with different types of banks and bigger brand deals. It's really exciting, actually. It's, it's been a nice evolution because I was getting sick of writing copy. Now I have the opposite problem. Now, Eric, I get sucked into so many big, important meetings for the company. I don't get to write as much copy as I used to, and I really miss it. You know, yeah. There's nothing like that feeling of working your butt off on something and putting it up and having it convert really strong and then getting to see the ad spend go up and customers come in and, and you know, the testimonials that they love the product. I wish I could do more of that now. The grass is always greener. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We mentioned Russell Brunson a little earlier. He's been on the podcast before as well. Um, which other marketer slash founders are you, are you following right now? Yeah, Russell's awesome. Russell's a, a genius copywriter. He's one of the, a good example of someone who, he does teach a little bit of copywriting, but mainly he uses it for himself to build quick funnels. I always have been a fan of John Reese's work. He's not as out there these days as he used to be, but he's been a, a mentor and an inspiration for me from day one. Dean Graziosi is brilliant. 
he's doing a lot of his own stuff and working with Tony Robbins on some big things. And I recommend people study everything Dean and Tony do, because I think Dean is probably the best natural salesperson on earth. And his stuff converts just amazingly. And the numbers he puts up in the, the personal growth space are pretty much bigger than anyone. Possible exception, Brennan Burchard. Brennan Burchard is a brilliant marketer and is, I think, the go-to guy when it comes to building a great personal brand. So if you have an expertise that you want to bring out to the world, Brennan's Experts Academy program, uh, Sarah and I have gone to it. It's amazing. And he knows how to brand yourself, get yourself out there. Huge fan of his stuff as well. Awesome. So we have a couple more minutes left. We did touch upon this. And I don't, I don't talk about this with, with many people on the show, but let's, let's talk about politics and how it relates to kind of, a, what, what's your take on how things are right now? So yeah, the world's crazy. I mean, so I was of the opinion up until the COVID crisis hit that Trump could not lose. Uh, Me too. This yeah. And I've been of that opinion since he won in 2016, pretty mm-hmm. much. And, you know, he's done a few things that are frightening. There are things that Trump does that, that frighten me. I, I do not think he is the best man for the presidential job. Yeah. But he's done some things right, and he knows how to rally his base. And the Democrats just do so many things wrong. They're the worst marketers on earth. And yeah. the one thing the Democrats don't understand is how momentum works. So if you're a, a boxer and you get the shot to fight the champ, you don't want to get into a decision with the champ because you're probably going to lose because the champ has that status. He has that authority. And it's also good for whatever organization it is probably to like have the champ on top. He's probably the figurehead of the organization and people have, you know, biases as we're learning with other things going on in the world right now. We all have biases. Uh, some of them are unconscious and it's hard to beat the champ and you can't beat the champ by decision. You got to knock the champ out. Yeah. And one thing Trump did that, was brilliant, love him or hate him, is uh, I think he won on, what was it, November 5th or something like that? On November 6th, 2016, his ads were on Facebook for his 2020 campaign. He started campaigning the fucking next day. Yeah. And I, I was appalled. I was like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, he's, he's, like, shouldn't you be trying to become the president again? But as a marketer, I was like, that's smart because the momentum, he's keeping a hold of that momentum and driving it through. And the Democrats, what does their momentum look like? Well, they don't even start thinking about who the candidate's going to be up until like a year before the election starts. Did you know that Joe Biden is not even actually the Democratic nominee yet? Yeah. I didn't know that. I just realized that the other day I was reading something. It's like presumptuous nominee Joe Biden. They haven't even fucking picked him, man, as the nominee. Like four months out? Four months out, they haven't even like actually officially picked him. Yeah. And this is the problem. I mean, the Democrats have a lot of marketing problems, but this is the other problem. The Democratic selection looks like, okay, a year before the election, let's put our top eight people up and let's have them all fight and talk shit about each other and tear each other apart. Yeah. So it divides the base. You know, they did all that infighting and stuff like that, you know, and like I thought Bloomberg, Bloomberg was my guy. I I voted for him right in vote in 2016 is who I voted for. I think Bloomberg as an independent in 2016 could have disrupted everything because not a lot of people were uh, big on Trump and Hillary. You know, there were a lot of people that could have been swayed. I think that could have made for a nice three party system moving forward. Whatever. What's done is done. 
But yeah, the Democrats, they just talk trash on each other. And then they finally put someone ahead and it's not even someone that everyone in the party likes. And the party's just so divided. Whereas if they had had a strong leader that they'd been grooming and ready and supporting since say 2017 or even 2018, someone with the charisma of a Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton, with all that's going on in the world right now, with the exciting movements that are, are you know, finally making some real progress and ending racism and equal justice and, and all these important movements right now, there's so much momentum for Democratic Party issues that Democratic Party leans into, the so social justice issues. There's so much momentum there. If they had a strong leader in place that they've ha had been supporting for years, I think that person at this moment in history could have grabbed that torch and de-seated Trump for the presidency, but they just don't have that person. I, Biden is not that person. And even if he was, there's just been so much infighting and so much trash talking. It wasn't him. So, I mean, my guy in, in this one who's is already out of the running was Tim Ryan. But I think the guy that they, they really should have considered is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. Oh, he for sure have my vote. I mean, you hit upon something really important, right? I, I think love him or hate him, right? I'm not going to say I support or, or not support. I, I think the most important thing is you need unification, right? He's got a message, right? Whether you agree with the message or not, he's got a message. And that's yeah. important comes to marketing. So you got to look at it from a marketing standpoint. I think for those of you, people get really riled up when you talk about politics, which I don't talk about much, right? Anyway, totally agree with you. So two more questions from my side and then we are all done. But favorite business book. I know you gave a bunch of books earlier. What else you got? Favorite business book. Man, that's a big, bold question. I got to go with Ready, Fire, Aim by Michael Masterson. Love it. We'll that's drop the that one the that, that was our Bible when we started Golden Hippo. Great. And then similar question, favorite business tool. So it could be like Slack, Zoom, or anything like that. Oh, let's go with the Hemingway app, man. The Hemingway app is super powerful. It's probably something that people haven't heard about and it'll transform your writing because readable writing is so critical. If your writing is not readable, it's not going to get read, you know, 100%. common sense. And that app, it, I think it's either free or next to free and it'll help you do that. Amazing. Well, Craig, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? I'm on the, on the gram, uh, just at Craig, just, just that first name. And I also have been going on Twitter a lot and Twitter is where I share more of my marketing and business insights. Yeah. My Instagram is more motivational and helping young people. Mm -hmm. Twitter is more business stuff and Twitter is my full name, Craig Clemens, C-L-E-M-E-N-S. A separate note before we hop off. So I follow you on, on Instagram. I'll have to add you on, on Twitter. But Twitter to me is the most important social network. But that's like, we got to do like a session too. But literally, I, I got booked back to back on podcasts. So that is it, everyone. If you guys want me to have Craig again, please type one into the chat right now or just tweet at me. And we'll see you guys in the next podcast or another day. All right, guys. See you later. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.